I remind you that during the um, Pentecost season, which is the longest liturgical season in the church year, the readings that we have every Sunday are focusing on the basic tenets of Christianity. What we believe as Christians, how we ought to form our life, what we ought to follow. And the church tells us to spend a great deal of time listening to these things, looking at them, studying them, and being formed by them. Today, the message that I think comes loud and clear to us is a struggle that Christianity has had from its inception. And that's balancing the relationship between faith and good works. And to recall that we are not saved by good works. We're saved by faith. By accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Nothing you and I could ever do could earn for us the right to salvation. Salvation is a gift that God gives to us out of his love for us. And because of that love that God has first demonstrated for us, we are inclined or encouraged or called to do good works. But the faith comes first. It's believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and associating our work with his work of salvation that we are called to do. No one is ever saved without good works. <laughs> but they follow in a cause and effect relationship. But our salvation comes from faith. It is a gift from God. Now if any of you get up early on Sunday mornings and read the Post in Curia, and as I do, page through uh, uh, the religious section to find out what's happening uh, in our world. You might have seen the wonderful article this morning by Father John Parker, who used to be a priest of this diocese, but who felt a call on his life to leave the Episcopal Church and go to the Eastern Orthodox Church. And he now ministers in an Eastern Orthodox Church on the island of Ione. And he has a wonderful way of writing that's very easy to follow and to understand. And John wrote this morning about that relationship between faith and good works. And I want you to know that it wasn't just a capricious choice that he made to write that article at this time, but that article was inspired by the readings that he is reading in his church this morning and it's being read in almost all of the mainline Christian denominations. The Episcopal Church, the Anglican Church, the Roman Catholic Church, the Methodist Church, the Presbyterian Church, the Lutheran Church. Because we follow a common lectionary and we're reading these things. So we're all focusing in on that. And I encourage you to read that article that John has written. It's extremely well done. And it's very important that we understand that relationship. And today the scriptures share that with us. We're still in the same two books that we've been studying 
throughout this uh, Pentecost season. Uh, we are in, uh, now in the second book of Samuel, uh, and we're still for this Sunday uh, in Mark. And both of them together today speak to us about this relationship of faith and good works. The operable word in these teachings is rest. And that's not a part of the Christian gospel that many people think about very often. But it's a very important part of the Christian message. And I watched the faces on many of you as I read that part from Mark's gospel where Jesus told the apostles to come apart with him, to spend some quiet time, and to rest. And that's part of the gospel and part of our relationship uh, to this uh, equation of faith and good works. There are certain things that God does, and there are certain things that he inclines us to do. And we, from time to time, need to have a time of rest. Not just idle relaxation, but rest in the fact that we get away from all of the distractions and the pressures of the world around us, and spend some time processing God's Word. We do that in a way every Sunday. You have been called out of your daily life with all the various activities that you have, and you're told to come to this place and to restfully spend some time with God and with His Word and to hear it read, and to see it projected, and then to hear it taught through the message so that we can process what God is telling us about how we are to live as Christians and can more faithfully attend to that invitation that he gives us. And that's beautifully laid out in the readings today that complement each other so well. The first reading, we're still concentrating on King David, who is the greatest hero in all of Hebrew history, greater than the great lawmaker Moses, the great king who is a prefigurement of Jesus Christ, and the one whom, whom God declared that his family, his dynasty, would always reign over Israel until the end of time. And God has been faithful to that promise. It hasn't worked its way out as some of the people of David's day might have thought, but it works its way out in an even better way according to God's plan that incorporates not only the Jewish people, but all the people of the world. Remember that promise that God made to Abraham when God first revealed himself and asked him to leave his home and his gods, his idols, and all of the practices that he followed in Chaldea and to go to a place that God would bring him to and to have an exclusive relationship with God. And if he did so, he said, I will bless you 
and all of the people of the world will bless you, and I will make of you a blessing so that you bless all of the world. That promise of God is still being fulfilled uh, in, in our vision, uh, in our presence. We're seeing that worked out still. We are part of that now as we are under the dynasty of the, of the, of the house of David, not being ruled over by an earthly king any longer, but being ruled over by a direct descendant of King David, Jesus of Nazareth, who is our king, who is our Lord, who is our Savior. And he still calls us to that relationship. Now today we looked at David and we saw the wonderful things that David had done. And God blessed David by giving him an unprecedented rule as king of Israel. There was no war in David's time. They were at peace and they were able to grow as a nation. God gave them a time of rest. I want you to look at the words that opened up uh, the reading that we had today uh, from Samuel. After the king, speaking of David, was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a palace of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. God was satisfied with David's reign. He had been faithful to God and he had brought blessings on all of his people. And David had done many things. And David loved the Lord so much and was so grateful for what had happened in his life that he wanted to continue to do for the Lord. And the one thing that David wanted to do so badly since God had given him the direction to build the town of, of Jerusalem and to build the wall uh, and to uh, incorporate the whole city and make it the capital and make it a great peace, place of peace, he wanted to build a fitting temple for the Lord. That was a good work that David wanted to do. But God's plan was different. He said, David... You will not build the house for me. Your son will do it. But I want you to enjoy this time of rest that you have so that our people can grow in understanding of, what's called, of what they are called to do and how they're called to be faithful. And so David was not to build the temple. But God does say to him in the, in the last part of this reading, that even though David is not going to be allowed to build a house for the Lord, the Lord will build a house for him. Now David was already living in a house, and David, the Lord was not going to build him a bigger house. But what he was saying, and what we get out of the context of that reading, uh, is that he would build a dynasty, spoken of very often in Scripture as the house of David. His royal line that would last until the end of time. That was a blessing that God uh, would give uh, to uh, David. But now the Lord wanted him to relax and enjoy the peace 
and not just an idle peace, but a peace in which the people could grow and prosper with one another and understand their relationship to God. And that pretty much sums up the reign of David. It was a gracious reign, uh, and it was a, a blessed reign, and God was blessing him. There are some things that God must do for us, and there are some things that God wants us to do for him. And he will inspire us and encourage us to do good works. But there's some things that we have to allow God to do. And sometimes we just need to take that rest to come and quietly process our relationship to God and to be faithful to him. The uh, Psalm 89 that we prayed together uh, was a song of praise to God. It's a beautiful song of praise in which it delineates all the blessings that God has brought to his people. And in the middle of it, which is the verses that we prayed, there is a tribute to David because David is held up as an example of someone who was faithful to God. And that's why David is praised in that psalm. He's not praised for being a great king. He's not praised for being a great leader. He's not praised for being a great shepherd. He's praised for being faithful to God and following God's lead that David always prayed for God's direction and followed that direction. And that's the great example that David brings us. Um, I couldn't help but notice this morning that uh, part of our decorations are the sunflowers that we have in here. Uh, and the sunflowers are a beautiful part of nature uh, that sort of works out the same relationship uh, that David had with God. Uh, when I was living up in Orangeburg County, that's, the sunflowers are part of the rotation crops. Uh, and all the farmers plant a field of sunflowers from time to time. And when you see these sunflowers and see their interaction with the source of their grace and strength, the sun, it's an amazing lesson in faithfulness to God. When the sun rises in the morning, the sunflowers that have closed at night suddenly open up with all of their rays, and they look right at the morning sun. And if you drive by those fields during the day, you will see those sunflowers are following the movement of the sun across the sky. And so they wake up in the east facing the sun, and they close at the end of the day facing the west as the sun goes down and come back to life the next day. What a wonderful example of what we are called upon to be faithful to God, to follow him, to look at him, to let him take the lead in our life. And that's what he calls on us to do. So David is given to us today as an example of faithfulness to God and allowing God to lead his life. David is a hero, but he's not a saint. He's very, very human. And next Sunday, we're going to continue reading in the book of uh, Samuel and see just how human David is and just how evil he can become when he takes his eyes off of God. 
and begins to satisfy his own self. And yet through all of that difficulty that he had, he never loses that contact with his faithfulness to God. And as bad as he was in the things that he did, he was raised to a new life, to forgiveness, to restoration, to redemption by his return to God. And there becomes a a real fitting example to us because none of us can become saints. We are all sinners. We are all human. And we need to have examples of people uh, who can help us during those times when we come face to face with our humanity. And David's a great lesson in that. Now fast forward to St. Mark's Gospel. Here we come up with the same part in, in, in Mark's Gospel. We're following the chapter right on through, reading everything today, paragraph after paragraph. And the reading took up today as the apostles were coming back from a missionary journey that Jesus sent them on and gave them instructions on how to dress and how to conduct themselves and what to teach. And now they're coming back and they're all amazed at how God has blessed their faithfulness in accepting that message. Uh, And so they come back all excited, talking about the things they have seen and witnessed, the the miracles that had happened uh, uh, to validate their teachings, and how people were accepting the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it says that the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. And then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and let's get some rest. Jesus was inviting them to come and to process what they had experienced and to pray about it to God and to be grateful to God for the success that he he had given them so that they could benefit more fully from the experience that they had had. And that was his instruction to them. And they did go away for a quiet place for for a little while. They got in the boat. They went out in the middle of the lake. And anybody who goes out uh, in, in a boat from time to time knows how restful and how changing that is just to get out on the water and to have that little time. And so they have this little time to gather on the boat until they reach the shore. And then they're surprised when they get to the shore because people have gathered from all of the village to greet them. And so there's, no go- there's not going to be any quiet time on the shore. There's not going to be any processing. But I want you to take note. The apostles still have a little quiet time to process what they had said and done while watching what Jesus is going to say and do. Because the apostles are not teaching the crowds. The apostles are not feeding the crowd. The apostles are not working the miracles before the crowd. Jesus is doing that and giving them an excellent time to process what they had gone through. Jesus sees the people crowded there, he says, and he has compassion on them. And I love the way Mark describes that. He said he sees them and they look like sheep without a shepherd a sheep without a shepherd is disastrous 
because sheep are dumb animals. <laughs> sheep have to be guided by the shepherd. They have to be fed by the shepherd, protected by the shepherd, led by the shepherd. Their life is always tenuous without their relationship to the shepherd. And that's the image that Jesus gives, you, gives us. He sees us like sheep without a shepherd. And he steps forward to become the shepherd. And Jesus preaches to them and teaches them. And then there is a gap of about 20 verses in this uh, reading. And we see him getting back in the boat and going to another area, to, to, to uh, 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 Genezareth. But in the meantime, something has happened that we skip right now. So while we skipped it today and just continued our processing of Jesus' teaching of, uh, about faith and good works, um, the things that we skipped were two very important things. It was the feeding of the 5,000 people on the shore, and it was the miracle of Jesus walking on the water during the storm. Next Sunday, we're going to read those passages, but we're not going to be in Mark's gospel. We're going to be in John's gospel. And the reason for that is that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are primarily historians who gave us the history of Jesus and the accounts of the things that he said and did. But John's gospel was written some 70 years after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And during that time, John had seen the gospel grow all around the Mediterranean. He had seen thousands of people come to the Lord Jesus Christ and accept him as Lord and Savior. And so when John was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write his gospel, he did not write as an historian. He wrote as a theologian. And John's gospel, while giving us the same framework that the historians did, goes into depth in what Jesus is doing. And he tells us why Jesus is doing this and what it means and what we are to take from it. And so next Sunday, we're going to look at that from John's vantage point so that we can be blessed by that. But today, we're looking at Jesus' call for us to process all the things that we see and hear as Christians, all of the opportunities that we have to put into good works the inclinations that the Spirit that the grace of God puts in our life. And we're also called to process our failures and to ask God's forgiveness and to know that God himself has assured us that nothing can ever separate us from his love. That no matter what we might do in a moment of weakness, he is always there to forgive us and to restore us. And that is one of the most important teachings of the, of the Christian faith that we need to have. But we need from time to time to separate ourselves from all of the excitement of the world around us and to concentrate on what Jesus is telling us. 
and to listen to the words that he speaks to us. Come to me, all ye that are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Not an idle rest to waste your time, but a godly rest which will enable you to process what's happening in your life and to follow the direction of Jesus himself. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and humble of heart, and I will give you rest. Amen?